Welcome to Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or why to believe it, but rather explore our Christian beliefs and why they matter for us in relation to God, to creation, and to others. My name is Aaron Ross. Welcome back to Everyday Theology. Uh, with me, I have the pleasure of having uh, my bishop. Um, I've kind of changed uh, my credentialing, and and we're going to talk a lot about that, not necessarily my trajectory, but um, I guess somewhat maybe my trajectory, but, but why I changed has so much to do with what our topic is today, which is uh, convergence and what is this. And, and so Paige being my bishop, I thought, what a great uh, opportunity to have a conversation about this. Paige is pastor, uh, professor, chair at School of Urban Missions and Theology. Uh, he's he, an army chaplain. He's literally everything. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> if there is such thing as convergence, he is it uh, in, yes. in many different ways. So right, Paige, right. Uh, welcome, welcome to Everyday Theology, man. Yeah, thank you. So good to be here. Glad to be uh, on here with you and um, very excited about um, all the things that are going on with your podcast. It's uh, really exciting. So thanks for, for having someone like me on here. Oh, well, I'm, I'm happy to have you. Um, yeah, thanks. I, it's been interesting. It's been a wild ride, uh, so far. So we'll see how, how far that ride goes. But, um, Paige, if you wouldn't mind maybe just introducing yourself to, uh, the, the listeners, our listeners, and just mm-hmm. kind of your story, who you are, you know, how you kind of found your way even into this movement before we sure. talk about what the movement is and, and why it's different from maybe other spaces. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, um, probably the best place to start is that uh, I'm, I'm originally from Alabama. I moved down to New Orleans, Louisiana to um, to go to school and uh, uh, attended the, the seminary, the Baptist seminary that's here in town. And, uh, you know, my wife and I just fell in love with with the city. So we decided to stay here and, and do ministry. So we've lived we've lived here in New Orleans for uh, almost 22 years now. And uh, I, I pastor a church, uh, and that, that church uh, called Canal Street Church is actually one of the uh, oldest churches here in the city. It was started almost 170 years ago, which actually, in, in New Orleans terms, is actually quite young because our city is so old. Right. But um, the, uh, the city's been around now for, uh, for nearly 300 years, and um, our church was started in the early 1800s as a... Um, uh, what they call the Siemens Bethel Church. Huh. So it was a place where um, uh, seamen that were coming in from the port would be able to come and have a chapel to attend church. And they believe it was actually the first one of the first chapels in New Orleans that actually had um, worship services in English in huh. the uh, in the in the French Quarter area. Yeah. So it started down the French Quarter and then moved out to um, what what they now call Mid City. Uh, New Orleans. So we're still in a very urban area, but from uh, this Canal Street Church, uh, we have planted several other churches uh, across many denominations uh, here in town, as well as uh, kind of in the metro area, but all with a very urban focus. And, um, you know, uh, several years ago, um, I started becoming more interested in, in convergence and some of the ancient church. Uh, I was, I, I actually did my PhD in theology uh, back in 2008, and I did it on Alistair McGrath. Um, also did it on a on a Muslim theologian. I was comparing their reactions to postmodernity, but for for our sake, uh, looking at at this convergence movement, um, I, I started reading reading Alistair McGrath, and and in in reading his theology, there was just something about it because he was mixing several different elements of the ancient faith, ancient church, the Reformation, as well as contemporary uh, movements, right. theologically, and um, yeah, and of course he's Anglican, and a lot of the convergence movement um, is informed by uh, Anglicanism, and so um, you know I started looking at this, going, man, this this really is kind of where my heart is. Like I'm I, I'm so thankful for my Baptist background. I'm still very much Baptist in a lot of ways, in the sense that I believe that. Uh, the local church is is the center of God's universe here on earth, so to speak, um, that we exist to make disciples through local churches. 
Um, I certainly believe in in the inspiration of the word and the preaching of the word. So all those things that that really come through from my Baptist background, I still very much appreciate. But convergence, I saw bringing together a lot of these different divisions that were out there. So um, kind of as a as an aside here, um, but also that plays in the story. Uh, back in 2010, I deployed as a chaplain uh, with the National Guard. And, um, and so I continue that ministry, as you, as you mentioned um, in my introduction, uh, and still continue to do the, the chaplaincy ministry. But um, I was able to serve with an Episcopalian priest to basically introduce me to the prayer book and the liturgical worship style. Yeah. And even though then I was still very much Baptist, there were just things about the liturgy, about the Lord's table that just really drew me in. And, um, and so I, I really started experiencing, I think, a little bit of that theological shift, even way back then in 2010, um, that when I returned from deployment, I started looking into uh, some of these convergence movements and Anglicanism and, and how to be able to bring together the, the different streams of Christianity that, that are out there. Uh, and so that's kind of what, what we've been doing uh, as we've sent out these churches and as we have um, sent out church planters, um, God allowed us to uh, come into a, a convergence denomination that uh, eventually consecrated me as a bishop. And so we've been now able to send out several churches and church planters and even chaplains that are part of um, this convergence movement. And, and so all that to say is, you know, what is the convergence movement? It is a movement where people want to revisit back to the early church and experience what we call the three streams of that early church, the liturgical, the spirit-filled, uh, and also the evangelical. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, what's happened now over the past uh, several centuries since the early church is that, you know, there's just been division after division after division in the church. And, um, <clears throat> and of course, you know, it goes all the way back to the split between the the Eastern Orthodox and the at the time the Western Orthodox or what would eventually become the Roman Catholic Church. And then, of course, you had the the Church of England split and then the Protestant Reformation split and all the other branches that flow out of, of those uh, Reformation movements. Right. The Convergence Movement seeks, seeks to bring those back together in the form of that liturgical, sacramental, spirit-filled and um, evangelical veins. Um, to where we're in a, in a worship service and in our discipleship and in our and just in our overall Christian life, we're able to experience uh, them reunited, which honestly, I believe uh, that that's the way that God really intended it to be. Right. And that's the way that God intended the early church to be, to be a spirit filled community. Uh, and certainly from our Pentecostal heritage, which, by the way, along the way, I've, I've uh, I was became spirit filled and um, had a little bit of a Pentecostal movement in myself. So that's that's for another the podcast. Joke, you, you became saved, right? I be, <laughs> right, I, right. I, finally, at that point, I really got saved. Mm -hmm. So became spirit filled. So uh, so that'll be another podcast that we'll do. But um, <laughs> you know, experiencing that spirit filled missional aspect that sees the the Lord's table as the center of worship, and it doesn't degradate. The preaching of the word it just elevates the lord's supper right but but with that also being able to bring together that evangelical spirit where we're on mission together and reaching the world for christ so that's really yeah. i think part of the heartbeat yeah i think i think for a lot of people that's going to be confusing um maybe in in a few different ways i mean one way mm -hmm. being the fact that you know your story being um, Baptist background and my being Pentecostal, right. I think a lot of people would, you know, red flag that already and be like, wait a second, you know, Baptist <laughs> right, and Pentecostal right. can't be friends, mm -hmm. um, which is not true, but you know, that's the old kind of view. And then you, you also, you know, stated this thing about sending out churches in different denominations. And I think for some people that'd be confusing as well, right? Like, because mm -hmm. what we're talking about when we're talking about a convergence movement and even, even our, our group and our diocese, it's, it's interesting in the fact that it's not bound by denominational boundaries. It's not bound mm -hmm. by uh, these kind of more stricter doctrinal statements, you know, coming mm -hmm. from a Pentecostal background in which there were, quote unquote, 16 fundamentals that were yes, unquestionable, right? right? Mm -hmm. um, that was problematic for me. Right. Like, I think some people are going to be like almost jarred, right? If they've been in and around the church and they're like, wait a second. So what are you? <laughs> Uh, mm -hmm. 
how do you define this? I mean, maybe you can talk about that a little bit because that for some people is going to be kind of, I don't know, odd, right? Yeah. 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 You're right. Uh, in, in our, in our, um, well, let me put it this way, you know, for our denomination, at least in our local group here, our network, we, we style ourselves as a, what we call a missional society. And the, the reason I've, I've used that terminology is because if you go back to the 1700s, when um, <clears throat> a lot of these missions societies in uh, the British Isles were sending out missionaries uh, to other places around the world, uh, many times they sent out missionaries that were um, from various denominations, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterians, and, and Anglicans. Yeah. Um, and so capitalizing on that, I want us to be able to say, hey, we're here to send people out to be on mission for Christ. And so, um, you know, what is our denominational confession? Well, it's it's essentially the, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, um, certainly with the Bible as our, our, um, our supreme rule of faith in everything we do. But we have those basic confessions as, as a part of who we are. So a lot of times, you know, people say, well, kind of sounds like you're multi-denominational or interdenominational or something. And we, we probably are to, to that extent. But at the same time, it, it, it really is something ancient, but it's something new. We're just simply trying to go back to the ancient church where the church was one. But at the same time, now we understand and recognize that, you know, our human history has not been perfect. There's been splits after split after split with right. denominations. So we really are trying to bring them back together. And, you know, there, there are a couple of other missional movements like this, perhaps that are not as convergence oriented as we are. But I think about like Tim Keller's uh, City to City Network up in uh, New York City, where they've sent out uh, planters, church planters of, of many different denominations. We do the same thing. We just do it from a convergence mindset. Right. Um, because we, you know, our, our local church here, we are um, uh, affiliated in several different ways with some Pentecostal groups, certainly with the Baptists still, uh, with a couple of Angl Anglican groups and, um, and convergence groups for that matter, if you, if you will. But, you know, our, our goal is to continue to raise up and send out people that, that God's calling onto this journey. And, um, and so it is kind of confusing for people. So I just basically tell people we're multi-denominational and we have several different uh, streams that we live in yeah. as we're living out our Christianity. Well, and, and what's going to be interesting, and, and I'll kind of tell this from kind of my own journey, mm -hmm. I think, into, into our group, um, but also kind of maybe kind of twisting the way, and I don't say twisting, but kind of tweaking the way people think about things mm -hmm. when it comes to a church group such as this. You know, again, my my previous background, there was a lot of struggle in uh, actually asking real open and honest questions theologically, mm -hmm. right? Um, right? Right. There was a resistance towards having any kind of theological movement within your life, right? Mm -hmm. And that's that's the deep exploration of the things of God and it's going, Hey, wait a second. Maybe something that I, I thought was correct. Maybe I have some questions and maybe there's a better way of thinking about it. Right. Right. And not that, of course, that means I've, I've found the right perfect answer. It just means I'm on a journey towards uh, hopeful, better exploration of the person of God. Right. And, right. um, but, but I, there was a lot of resistance to be able to do that kind of work especially if it had anything to do with those 16 fundamentals, right? Like those were True, right. the sacred cows, so to speak, right? So, you know, one of my first questions to Paige, when we were kind of exploring and, and I was considering and, and going through this kind of process that you tend to go mm -hmm. through more liturgical um, spaces, I, you know, one of my first questions was to Paige to say, hey, tomorrow I might think differently about... X, Y, and Z theologically. Mm -hmm. And and I just have to know that if I'm a part of this group, that I can think differently about those things and still be in communion with our communion and and not right. be ostracized right. because you know, and I and I appreciate you, Paige, because that it was it was you know hard for I think a lot of people to it would be hard for a lot of people to say, Yeah, if, if you and I disagree on things, mm -hmm. that doesn't break our communion. Right. Right. Especially yeah. because we sit around these ancient creeds, which for anyone who's kind of more uh, familiar with these creeds, they're, I would almost put nondescript, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're very, right. very like short, succinct, and have these kind of very kind of really almost not well-defined. I think I teach all the time in, in my theology classes, we talk about the Nicene Creed and that first statement about mm -hmm. God creating 
all things seen and unseen. And, and I basically say, you know, does anyone know what that means? And everyone just wants to be like, well, that just means everything. And I'm like, well, not really, right? That's all about yeah. the Gnos Gnosticism mm -hmm. and this kind of like real centered, I don't want to say attack, but real centered pointed statement against Gnosticism that there's not a demurge and there's not God and, and you know, demurge being like a lesser God who creates evil or everything matter wise and it's all mm -hmm. evil and going down the path, right? But right. the reality right. is that Nicene Creed is short and succinct, sweet, mm -hmm. and really is, I, I mean, the, the most, I guess, using that term fundamental to what our mm -hmm. faith is. But even inside those things, there's, well, what does it mean to say God created all things seen and unseen? And we can have right. that conversation together while still holding both to this creedal idea. And I think for a lot of exactly. people, that's that's jarring because they're they're not used to such openness in these kind of mm -hmm. conversations. I mean, Paige, for you, I mean, you've you've now being a bishop in this group. How have you kind of seen that? I'm sure you've seen people try to come and go and feel weird about feel weird about it, and some people really like it. Kind of what what's been your experience with trying to help people understand that notion? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, let me answer that in two ways. Um, one, let me answer it more on the theological side, and then two, I'll I'll answer it more on the um, kind of the psychological emotional side, if that's yeah. all right. On the theological side, you're exactly right. Uh, you know, we we have seen in church history where you know the, the church splits, or the denominational splits, or the 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 people that that or the groups of the church that emphasize one a certain aspect of doctrine, um, <clears throat> all of a sudden create a new movement or a new denomination, a new organization. And, and usually it's over, like you said, you know, there's some type of doctrinal controversy. But yet what we find really for the first, um, at least first thousand years of the church and even thereafter, we had these very, very basic common creeds that really held the church together. And right. um, they said, hey, if, if we're going to be in fellowship to, with each other, this is our this is our common creed, period. Um, they didn't get much more detailed than that. But within that space, there was a lot of manu maneuvering theologically that people could have. Right. And, you know, and certainly we don't need to forget that that for uh, a good many, many centuries of the early church, they were a little bit more mystical and, and what we call apophatic and their their methodology. In other words, where they left a lot to mystery and they didn't try to define it. Yeah. And and I do think that that's really what has happened, especially on the on the Western side of the church, where we have come in and because of 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 the Enlightenment and modernity and and now post-modernity, that we have wanted to define things we wanted to get very technical with it and instead of leaving some of these things just to divine mystery uh, because of our western mindset that we want to get technical with it and i think that there are just some things about god that we cannot get so technical with that all of a sudden we use that as an excuse to divide fellowship with brothers and sisters in christ over yeah. honestly some things that are are probably so small doctrinally that they don't matter and Which, so that, that, go ahead. Yeah. I just want to say to, you know, to your point, right. You think about that first thousand years of church history for those who have been, you know, uh, educated in that time period, right. There, mm -hmm. there's, there are some controversies, right. There's some mm -hmm. heretic oh, yeah. crying and the like, but it's about such basic notions that we, and I say basic, maybe most, I don't most important. I mean, right. It's, it's, it's who is Jesus. Mm -hmm. And not even so right. much who is Jesus in the way that we talk about it in the 21st, 20th, and 8th, 19th century of like this historical Jesus, but much more just like, yeah. is Jesus fully God and fully man? Like, how do we how do we talk about that? You know, how do we talk about the Trinity? How, mm -hmm. how do we use proper language to the Trinity? And, and those yeah. are our basic things, right? It's, it's later on we get these splits over how should you baptize people, right? Like, all mm -hmm. of a sudden, like, it becomes splits over this really kind of... Uh, I mean, I know it was important to them at the time, and you look back and you're like, wh why are we fighting over like baptism by sprinkling or baptism by immersion mm -hmm. or baptism? You know, we could even go into child baptism and, and age of accountability yeah. considering mm -hmm. neither of them are biblical. <laughs> right? right. So, right. Exactly. Exactly the point. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so I just, I wanted to kind of throw that out there for, for those. Mm -hmm. I mean, there, there are a few things maybe in our first thousand years, but it was so very limited and so very. Right. 
so very, I would even say of the utmost importance where most of the things that we fight about mm -hmm. are of such little consequences and have more to do with right. our practices than they do with our, um, I, I don't even know, like theological dogma, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, and I totally agree. You know, and it's, it, it, some of these things that we have divided over go even way beyond what, what the scripture really teaches uh, about a lot of these things, you know, growing up Baptist and, and being educated at Baptist seminary, you know, we talked about modes of baptism and the different Baptist type movements over not just modes of baptism, but even what's said at a baptism right. to make it right. And, 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 you know, some of these things, I'm just like, okay, where in the Bible is it getting down to this type of, of, of detail that we should start a brand new denomination just over some of these very, very small details. Right. So, so I think part of this uh, gets into recognizing that, that in John 17, Jesus called us to be one. So that's, that's really the basis of this, this theological movement called convergence is that Jesus said, Lord, may they be one as you and I are one so that the world may so there's a there's a theological reason for that, but there's also a missional reason uh, because God is sending us out. And I do, really do believe the more that we're unified around the word and around historic Christian beliefs, orthodox beliefs, then the more effective our witness will be to the world. Right. And I think that's that's often something that we we forget about in this. But you know, going back to the to the psychological, the emotional side of it, and I think this is really kind of getting at what you're talking about is that. It does require a little bit of more of an, an emotional uh, and spiritual maturity, if I can use those terms, compared to where most of our churches are, especially in North America, where we find a lot of security in our doctrines. We find a lot of security in our beliefs. And, you know, we, we oftentimes say, well, I can be in fellowship with you if we are united theologically, if we are united in the same way that we interpret the Bible. Right. And and I know for I know you very well. You know me very well now after all these years. And I know both of us take the Bible very very seriously. Right. It is God's word. We 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 believe it. We teach it. Um, it informs who we are. It nourishes us. It is spiritually alive. It is inspired. But at the same time, we understand that you and I are not going to agree on every single thing. Right. We're human. You know, we're both sinners. No offense. You know, you're a sinner. You're saved. Um, I know that. I mean, you're a sinner. Yeah. Um, There's no I doubt about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And no doubt about it here. But, but, you know, that that doesn't form the way that we interpret and the way that we read the Bible. And so it, it just means that we need to exercise a little bit of a doctrinal and theological humility to recognize we might not have it all right. And so that means that I need to make a choice to be able to stay in fellowship with you even if I don't agree with you on 100% every area of doctrine. Right. Um, and it means that I recognize that the Holy Spirit still lives in you. The Holy Spirit still lives in me, even if we might not see everything eye to eye and, and exactly the same coming from God's word. Yeah. So it, it, it does require a little bit more of a, uh, I think, a spiritual maturity to be able to think about it that way and to remain in fellowship with people. Um, even if we doctrinally disagree, and don't get me wrong, I, I certainly acknowledge and and believe that that there are, there are limits to this, but those limits are within God's word. Those limits are within some of these most basic confessions and creeds that we've talked about from the history of the church. Um, where even though I might have to part fellowship with you, maybe in attending church with you, I, I even my worst enemy, I can still be friends with them to a certain degree. So I'm using that as an extreme case just to say right. that, um, you know, we don't have to keep on dividing over every single thing. We can remain in relationship, even if we don't see eye to eye doctrinally, uh, 100%. Yeah. And, and I think when we talk about scripture, particularly, I mean, and this is the hard part. I mean, this is one of the, the benefits of post-modernity, since we've used that language mm -hmm. a bit, over modernity yeah. is there's the the recognition within kind of a postmodern mindset that because mm -hmm. you and I are so contextually bound beings, right, American, English-speaking, right. you know, white males, that how we approach that mm -hmm. thing is very much based on the context, even where we live within the States and growing up in the South versus being up where I am now in Ohio. Mm -hmm. um, I went from one state that's the butt of all the jokes, Florida, to the other state that's the butt of the rest of the jokes, Ohio, right? Like, <laughs> that's right. Right. Um, like... Uh, 
we are so contextually bound that that mm-hmm. we are always going to approach scripture with a lens that we are can sometimes be aware of but even if we're aware of it to try and break out of that lens is insurmountably hard sometimes mm-hmm. right and and this is what these kind of like fights over you know specific interpretations of scripture mm-hmm. when we don't actually ask the real question of what is what is scripture doing to us yeah and how is that that how is god through scripture sanctifying us and, and, and again, where I'm indebted to Chris Green with his idea of sanctifying interpretation, right? Where the work mm-hmm. of right. Scripture is actually in sanctifying versus me having it figured out, like in modernity, mm-hmm. like a nice good puzzle that I've got all the pieces fit in perfectly. And aha, now I've got right. the right picture because I put the puzzle pieces together the right way. Mm-hmm. And it can't be. And, and that's where, you know, using that term kind of maybe I want to kind of nuance it a little bit, that spiritual maturity, right? Like. I know people who would never allow for that kind of idea to permeate their life, right? That, right. you mm-hmm. know, I have it right. This is the right way. And yet they're very loving people and very caring people, right? Mm-hmm. And they display some 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 amazing fruit of God's work in their life. And yet to have any kind of conversation about, hey, I think maybe if we look at Scripture this way, it's going to do something in us that is mm-hmm. really Christ-like. Right. That'll never happen. Right. Like that can't, that conversation literally can't happen. And so, but then I know people who can have that conversation who aren't necessarily the most loving people in the world. Right. Um, So they might show that, that spiritual maturity and the humbleness of their humility of approaching scripture. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and I'd like to kind of maybe point that out only in the sense that sometimes I think when we hear those phrases like spiritual maturity, we think of like ladder rungs where it's like, aha, there's just steps yeah. and we've just made it up to this point. And that's like this up here versus it being a really like wide open field. And sometimes we're better over here than we are over here. And, you know, so, um, oh, maybe I lost page. Well, it's just me for everybody. We'll see if he comes back. I'm back. Okay. We're back. All right. So I was in my long diatribe about something. I mean, it's been like three minutes and I've already forgotten. That's kind of been my day. Um, <laughs> but uh, is spiritual maturity, right? And and I think mm-hmm. I, th- I think it's important that, you know, even in this idea of convergence, we recognize like be- even in these three streams, sometimes we're, we're I don't want to say better at some parts of it than we are others, right? Like it's a, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. it's, it's this Christian life of being in this ebb and flow where, you know, I don't get disheartened when, when I feel like, oh man, I've taken three steps back over here, but two steps forward over here, it's more of, okay, what is, what is God doing within me today? Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Which is the more important question yeah. to be asking than trying to come to some, you know, milestone of my own spiritual life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it, it comes down to, to add a little bit more terminology to this, that we sometimes forget about the, the story of the Bible being able to influence and change our own story um, that, that we've lost the, 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 the essence of, of God's passionate story to redeem his people. And we've reduced the gospel, the charisma of the gospel <clears throat> down to um, doctrine, down to beliefs, down to logical propositions, which, you know, I would certainly affirm propositional theology. I would certainly affirm that we need those doctrines and those those beliefs, we need the dogma, but we can't forget about the the story behind that. That really is more the foundation. The, the doctrine itself is not the foundation. The story of God is the foundation. Right. And we need to make sure that our doctrines are overflowing from the story of God, first and foremost, not the other way around. And so I need to think about it of how how is my story being influenced by God's story that is being given to me through his word and influencing who I am. And, and so I, I would agree with you totally in the sense that we need to, you know, find a way to be able to make sure that our story is being oriented back to scripture, because that is God's revealed story to us. Yeah. And, um, and we can't get lost in the details of the doctrine, especially the minutia doctrine um, that divides us. And that really, as we talked about before, goes way beyond what, what the scriptures really speak to us about. 
It really does. Which, again, this is one of those fascinating points, right? Like you and I, we agree in one area of that and maybe not the other, right? Like mm -hmm. I may be a little mm -hmm. bit more weary of kind of propositional theology. I might be a little more weary right. of of those those precepts as like these are the hard and fast precepts at mm -hmm. least at least in a a large sense like as in many of those right. if there are they're very few right like that's kind of but i totally agree on this idea of like finding ourselves in the story of scripture like that thing mm -hmm. is the important thing right what is what is god doing in us through this this idea through through scripture through what he is given us through the story of him interacting mm -hmm. with people through thousands of years mm -hmm. and right. culminating in the incarnation. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and then trying to understand the incarnation after that. Right. So, right. Right. Um, but what, what, what I find literally, I was thinking about this this morning and I don't know if it was because subconsciously I was like, Hey, we're having this conversation and, and there's something about kind of the liturgical space that is so different maybe than, than evangelical space full sale. And so maybe we're going to have to define those three a little bit so people understand. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, because thinking about whether it even is my Pentecostal slash evangelical, those two things aren't the same, but they often get equated. But there's right. some mm -hmm. similarities that what, and, and this is going to sound really strange at first, but then I'll explain it, right? Scripture was not the main the main thing yeah. in my mm. upbringing, right? As much as mm. Pentecostals loved scripture and evangelicals use scripture, mm -hmm. the most important thing pre prefaced by, and, and this might be for some people in their own reflection of their church experience, the Bible was often used more as an underpinning of stories of the pastor, of propositions from the pastor, mm -hmm. of where really the pastor's exposition was the main thing about right. the thing over here, um, mm -hmm. where kind of the liturgical space, one of the things that initially really drew me was even in the, the, the common prayers and these liturgical prayers where we just read and reflected on scripture as a group and I, and without mm -hmm. necessarily always, in fact, very few times an exposition of the scripture, but asking the scripture to form us. Mm -hmm. Which, right, well, we could go way down the path of modernism and postmodernism and and kind of that kind of reflection, but but there's something about the this history, this long two thousand, you know, almost two thousand year history of this this ancient church that mm -hmm. that God through Scripture, the Spirit through Scripture, can do something in us right. by the story of Scripture, in which we don't necessarily have to have an exposition of a pastor on a, on a stage, you know, for 45 mm -hmm. minutes talking about that thing. And yeah. rather God mm -hmm. can do something within us through that thing as mm -hmm. a community. Right. Right. And I think right. that one of the things that really drew me because that it actually brought scripture and particularly the Lord's table, like the, mm -hmm. the forming, the formation from the word and then the formation from the experience of partaking in the body and blood of Christ as a communion, as a community that was more formational than any sermon I've ever heard, right? The sermon mm -hmm. helps yes. understand mm -hmm. the formation, but those two things were more formational, right? So yeah, I, I don't know if, if maybe it would be a good time to explain, like when you use these kind of three streams, right? Maybe mm -hmm. the Pentecostal spirit-filled, I don't want to say Pentecostal, but the more spirit-filled we've talked a lot about on this podcast, just given me and, and some of my guests, right? But especially sure, those two, yeah. the evangelical and liturgical, when you're, when you're talking about those as part of the convergence, how do you define them? Because mm -hmm. that, especially that evangelical world is so heavily laden right now with so much yes. mm -hmm. context from our society, right? So uh, yeah. I will stop blathering now yeah. and actually talk because you're my guest. No, no, no. <laughs> well, we'll just reverse and I'll start interviewing you. Um, you know, but, but, but you're, you're that would right be a bad podcast, with... so don't do that. <laughs> right. No, but you're right on with what you're saying. Um, and if I can, let me let me start with a little bit of that picture of the early church, possibly in the way that they worshipped. We have glimpses of this throughout the book of Acts, like in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. Uh, it talks about how they were, were gathered. They certainly studied the scripture, but it doesn't say there that they only studied scripture. It says that they prayed together. Uh, they fellowshiped, they broke bread, 
um, and that the spirit was present doing miraculous works. And so, right. you know, we kind of use that, those, those verses as almost like a, it, regretfully, we sometimes use it as like a normative passage, but really it's just telling us what, what was the spirit doing right then and there in the early church. Um, interestingly, the, 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 the word translated for when they were praying together, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to prayer. Um, literally, it's translated from the Greek as the prayers, which is a reference to the Jewish prayers hmm. that they had brought over into Christianity. Yeah. So we have their present where they're studying the apostles' teaching. That's that's the preaching. That's the study of the word where the the, the narrative of the Old Testament was informing them in their New Testament experience. Uh, we have, of course, the Spirit very present, doing the miraculous works, healing, uh, and other things. And then we we have still that liturgical side that was present there because they they were grounding themselves in the the, the prayers that had been passed down to them from previous generations uh, and from their Jewish heritage. So let's kind of fast forward now, uh, just to kind of show you the shape of all this. Um, back in the I think it was the 60s and 70s, uh, very famous. Uh, uh, theologian and worship uh, guru named Robert Weber um, kind of started this convergence movement, at least our, our modern day manifestation of it here in, in uh, North America. Um, but, but then eventually it spread around the world. So he kind of led this, this movement to want to revisit the early church where he saw evangelicalism becoming so detached from anything in the early church that he he had a desire to go back and reattach it to to visit that early church experience, and so um, it was really from that that even the groups that we're part of kind of uh, mushroomed and grew, um, and so just so everyone knows, you know, our our group is is called the Evangelical Episcopal Communion, um, and they are the the convergence movement. And then of course, as of late, we have um, also associated with uh, Anglican Mission here in the United States. Uh, which is an outreach of the Anglican Communion to the United States, and they also are more of a convergence, three streams type of movement. Right. So, so several denominations are are really kind of coming around this together, and to define them, you know, I wanted to give the the, the illustration from the early church just to inform us today, and that is that you know the spirit filled is simply seeing the spirit working even today that we acknowledge that the gifts of the spirit are continually working even today uh you know there, there are diff definitely different markers than say pentecostalism or, or or the charismatic movement because uh those have definite parameters that they like to say well this is what makes you pentecostal right classic pentecostal right. Or this is what makes you um charismatic but um, a lot of the third wave uh, Pentecostals and Charismatics actually associated with the Convergence Movement because they saw in it a way for the Spirit to be present and to work um, without going into a lot of the extremes. And so coming into the liturgical, by that what we're meaning is that um, there is a flow to the worship service that is informed by um, church tradition and church history. Um, you know, we often joke that every church has their own liturgy. Uh, when I was growing up Baptist, you always had a, um, a special music right before right. Right, you take up the offering. Then you'd have the special music right. and then you would preach. And if you didn't do it in that order, then the spirit was not going to show up for the preaching. So <laughs> you yeah. all, if you, if you miss the special music or something, then you, you, you can't have your heart prepared before the word, you know, it was, it was that type of uh, mentality with it. So, um, so in that sense, um, uh, you know, the, the, the liturgical kind of provides a, uh, a movement. The, the liturgy in the early church was, um, you know, the worship around the word, and then it moved to uh, the prayers of the people, and then it moved to the worship around the table. So there was a movement that culminated in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. So it wasn't that you ignored the preaching, you didn't ignore the, the singing of hymns and psalms, but it was just that the, the table was elevated, and then right. you had certain scriptures and certain sayings and certain prayers that you did around that that gave meaning to it. Right. So, so you know, a lot of times what people don't realize is that I've, I've got the Book of Common Prayer here um, that, I'm, that I'm holding, but a lot of times what people don't realize is that nearly 98, 99% of the words that have been arranged in the Book of Common Prayer um, are scripture. 
that's all it is. It's just scripture that is fit around a time of worship and prayer uh, and scripture reading itself. So that's really what we mean by the liturgical. It doesn't mean that we're necessarily like um, saying so many Hail Marys or worshiping idols and icons. That's that's not actually what it's about. In fact, that gets into a lot of things that are not historical um, in the the church, to, to be quite honest. Um, so we have this balance between the liturgical and the spirit-filled, but then the evangelical comes in in the classic sense of the word. We're not talking about an evangelicalism that began in the early 1900s and was right. a reaction to the fundamentalist movement and the modernist movement and all that. But we're talking about a, a true evangelical um, spirit that actually goes all the way back to even even the 1200s and 1300s, where um, some of the pre-reformers in Europe we're wanting to get back to the pure preaching of the word, the spreading of the gospel, um, the the coming to to faith based upon your profession of Christ as your Savior and Lord. Right. That's what we mean by the evangelical. It's it's it's, it's evangel in the sense that it's good news. So you know, it's it's a lot of the. I know there's a lot of baggage and and um, a lot of political connotations that come with the term evangelical, but it really is just simply getting back to the preaching of the word. And being evangelistic in our outlook, being missional in our outlook. So, you know, the convergence movement really seeks to bring together those three streams. Um, Again, back to what we truly believe that it looked like in the early church. Right. And I I think that's becoming more attractive to people because on the one side, I think people are, um, as you've noted, as you talked about, kind of tired of some of the, the... denominational and doctrinal divisions that we've really become uh, known for. But then also, I think people are wanting to get back to the early church. They're, they're, they, they've seen the modern church movement, and, and in some regards, and I don't mean this negative towards any one group in particular, because I've been a part of it, but really in, in regards to how shallow a lot of our North right. American Christianity is. Right. And, and we really do want to get back to a depth that church history can provide for us and that um, uh, revisiting the early church in a convergence type of mindset can give us now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting using that word liturgy, right? My liturgy is, as growing up Pentecostal, I mean, there was always the, okay. Um, and even in per- Pentecostal outworked churches that are kind of normalized mm-hmm. Pentecostal, meaning, you know, I almost call them secret Pentecostals, right? Like they're all kind of Pentecostals in the background, but you're never going to hear speaking <laughs> in tongues or you're never going to like the, the never going down to the altar the things that really may kind of Pentecostal classic Pentecostalism, what it was or is right. in some spaces. Mm-hmm. But one of the liturgies that was so important to me reflecting back as a kid, uh, like on my childhood is actually the liturgy of, of the disruption of liturgy. Right. And yeah. the fact mm-hmm. that, that, that there were so many times growing up that whether it was in a moment of worship or even just from the onset, whether it was a pastor or the congregation or, or the worship or how like the spirit would start to move. And it was like, Hey, our plan that we had, right? Like the, these three mm-hmm. songs and this, you know, all that's out the window. Here's the spirit going this way. So we're just going to go that way. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the rise of planning center, in some sense for those who are used to like <laughs> right. the the church background you know backbone now it seems mm-hmm. uh the rise of church planning center it was almost the death of the move of the spirit in so many churches right yeah. because now mm-hmm. i've got these time frames i've got five mm-hmm. minutes for this song six for this and three for that one and two for the tithing and you know whatever and we have to stay on track because we got to get these people out mm-hmm. and get these people in and we've got to cycle back all over again right well, and right. so where's the spirit right. I mean, the spirits yep. left. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's what's interesting, kind of about these these ideas, especially, <laughs> you know, the liturgy, right? Is is there is the liturgy of kind of like the the ancient church because it's it's it is both I, I say programmed, right? You've got the the liturgy mm-hmm. book, you've got kind of the normal flow, but at the same time, with kind of this convergence, there's space for that still. Right, the the liturgy right. is the yeah. mm-hmm. end all be all of of what we do, and it's it, but it, but it is kind of a guide, but that guide can all the, the guide rails can always be blown up by the work of mm-hmm. the spirit, right? Right, um, right, exactly. Which is, which I think is why it's been attractive to so many. To mm-hmm. the next point I had, which was, 
especially if you grew up in those churches that were, whether it was evangelical or Pentecostal, and you grew up in those where it was so programmed or you had these um, mentalities that liturgy is dead, right? High church, they're all mm-hmm. dead, you know, forget them, right? We do it right, they right. do it wrong. Yeah. That, that something, especially, and this, this can often be overstated, but there's a lot of millennials who have taken to this turn and then it's mm-hmm. being seen now in Gen Z as well, taking a liturgical turn because they grew up in this like one space where it was mm-hmm. non-contemplative, a lot of uh, performative, not saying that in a bad way, but just a lot of performative actions and functions. And it, the pendulum is kind of swinging the other way. Wait a second, we right. left something behind that was that's so formational. Mm-hmm. And the hard part is, we're creatures that like to wait a second. What I grew up with now that must be wrong because this is formational, right? And right, right. Where exactly. that's not the case, and maybe it's having our cake and eating it too to be convergence to kind of go, hey, look, <laughs> no, no, all those expressions are helpful. We do mm-hmm. have our own guide rails in terms of liturgical right. um, and more Anglican liturgy, but at the same mm-hmm. time those guardrails aren't the end all be all and we don't, we don't yeah, live yeah. and die by them. Right. 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 Exactly. And you know, somebody gave a, a helpful um, illustration about this um, years ago. And they said that, um, that the liturgy, yes, they act as, as, as guide rails, but they use the, the illustration of levees, you know, here huh. in New Orleans, we like our levees because we <laughs> I hope you like have them, to keep right? the river. Yeah. Um, that's right. <laughs> Keeps our, our city dry, quite literally. Um, so we, we like our levees because it keeps the, the, the river running the way that needs to, but, but, you know, what happens is in the spring, uh, the, 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 the water level rises in the river. And during the, the uh, late fall and in, in, in the winter, it can go down actually quite far. In fact, just recently, the, the Mississippi River went down um, probably one of its lowest levels that they've had in like nearly 50 years, I believe is what they said. So, huh. you know, the, the, um, the, the liturgy acts as a levy so that when the spirit is overflowing, that it still acts as a guide. It channels the spirit, so to speak. Uh, I know you cannot channel the spirit, but you know <laughs> it gives direction for the way that the spirit is is manifesting in people and uh, with prayers and with right. um, words and tongues, whatever it may be. I think that's the Pauline, but, but, right? Like tongues interpretation mm-hmm. is required, right? That no speaking exactly, out over right. it. Yeah, right. It's more. Right, it's yeah, more it's, our it's, our guide our guidelines for the spirit engaging yes, with us, right? Right. Yeah. Great clarification. It's more that First Corinthians thirteen and fourteen. Uh, type of uh, a, a guide that Paul gives. On the other side of it, though, like if if at those times when the when the the it appears as though the spirit is running low, or in other words, the water level is low, and you, you just kind of don't know where to go or how to pray or whatever it may be, the liturgy still provides the guide. Um, I was interacting with some friends the other day, and they they said that um, during their times of grief. When they just didn't know what else to pray or when they had no other words to express themselves, the liturgical prayers provided those words that they needed. When, when they would read the Psalms through the cycle of reading through and praying through the Psalms, that it would provide the words that their hearts needed for it. And right. I think that's a great illustration is to show that <clears throat> liturgy is there to, to guide us and channel you know, when we really feel the spirit moving and we're overflowing, but it's also there to guide us. And we just don't know what else to say. Yeah. Um, plus it keeps us from getting up there and going, um, um, or <laughs> right. trying to sound cool in our prayer right. or whatever it may be. And it, it provides depth for us with prayers that have been prayed, you know, for literally centuries. So, right. you know, and, and again, it's, it's keeping all these things in balance. You might have some churches and some individuals that just like us come from various backgrounds, whether it be spirit filled or more evangelical or more liturgical. But the point is that all of them are held in balance together in our expression of worship and in our discipleship. Yeah. It's, it's in some sense. Um, and, and I'm hoping to have a podcast with some friends soon. We have the kind of a, our, our, our group, it's, it's a bunch of guys and we just have these kind of conversations and we're open and honest and we do some reading and reflecting. And, you know, mm-hmm. w- one of our, um, 
uh, recent retreats that we do, kind of our annual retreat, you know, one of the things that this friend of mine who kind of really leads this for us just encouraged us to have times of saying this quote unquote Jesus prayer, right? Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy mm-hmm. on me, a sinner, right? And just to repeat right. it over and yeah. over again, which, which, you know, I can already hear the Pentecostal like in the background, like don't just blabber words, right? Don't just repeat your prayers, just say it once and that's all you need, yeah. right? But but yeah. that's not the point, right? It was kind of to your point here, in some sense that kind of liturgy focuses us when our minds are wandering, mm-hmm. when, we, when we're the ones who are uh, inattentive to the work of the Spirit or we're the ones that are yeah. um, needing to be focused and, and yes. I need to be focused all the time, right? And Mm -hmm. I think this is the kind of thing that, especially growing up in Pentecostal or evangelical spaces that had much more performative experiential services, that sometimes that focus was so needed, right? We we didn't know why Mm -hmm. we were singing or what we were singing, right? We didn't know what was going on, and and there's something that needed to focus us. I think... Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to maybe as we're getting kind of towards the end of our time, mm-hmm. I want to kind of focus a little bit on what, what does that mean? I think some people might, might hear this and go, I still don't fully get it and that's okay. I think to some degree, that's the beauty of it, right? Is that we mm-hmm. are right. we're in process with what this convergence really means in these three streams. And, yeah. and uh, that's beautiful, right? Because I, again, coming from a tradition that says, this is what this means also mm-hmm. creates no more guide rails. It's, it's block walls. Right. Right. Um, right. But what in your experience first, why have, have you experienced kind of this resurgence of people being drawn to this? And then second, mm-hmm. you know, if people are interested and they want to know kind of more about what this means and, and, and how it's formational and maybe even those who are looking, maybe they've been feeling drawn to kind of move from, and not that we encourage people to leave their domination, right? But like, if people have been feeling like drawn towards kind of, uh, this is the kind of space that I feel the Spirit's leading me, and, and I haven't really understood it, you know, how people can maybe engage with you or engage kind of in mm-hmm. what this means. So, sorry, those two longer questions, right? <laughs> what have you seen and how can Yeah, you- yeah. Sure. Yeah, no, I think that that people are drawn to it again because they they're tired of some of the denominational splits um they're they're tired of of seeing churches split and and hey even in the convergence movement you know we've had church splits and leadership <laughs> right. splits before yep. that that that's that's we're our we're own people that's going to happen right <laughs> yeah. um, i mean literally we are you know even even the, people don't know this but even the catholic church has had splits there are still factions within the catholic church even right. as much as it's hierarchical catholic, and very focused right? on yeah. one but anyway that's for another podcast um so people people are tired of that but they also want to experience something that's deeper i think they want to experience um a a a faith that can draw from uh the the depth of of church history and be connected to the church in the ancient past, not just here, but um, here and now. I think there's that our churches today, especially in North America, are so focused on the here and now that we forget about just the depth of um, of, of heritage, of spirituality, of um, meaning, and and the saints that have gone before us to be able to learn from them. Like we we, we just jettisoned all of that in favor of an attitude of it's it's just me and my Bible, you know. Um, so, so, you know, convergence allows us to go back and retrieve some of those earlier sources, um, that allow us to have a little bit of a deeper spirituality, but yeah, you know, for, for those that are, that are interested, I think there are a couple of things they can do. Of course, first of all, I'm, I'm glad to talk to anyone and, and email or correspond with anyone who's, who's interested. And, um, our, our, our group, our, our religious order is called Missio Mosaic, um, so they can Google Missio Mosaic, just like it's spelled Missio, M-I-S-S-I-O, and then Mosaic. Um, and they can find us uh, at missiomosaic.org. Um, but also start researching some of these things on the Internet and other sources they can go to. I also want to recommend some of Robert Weber's uh, books. 
that are are really great. He did a, a great job of of um, being uh, of kind of communicating about the the convergence movement. Um, but you know, you, again, you can Google or go to Amazon and pull up some of his books. Um, other other authors like Peter Gilquist also um, wrote some books. Uh, they're out there. There are several different ones, and I'm even trying to put together a book right now on three. What I'm calling it: three streams churches and what our worship, our discipleship, and our evangelism looks like with that. So I'm hoping kind of to use 2023 as a um, as a time to to finish writing this yeah. book. Um, but but also like I encourage people to to buy the, a copy of the Book of Common Prayer. Um, find an edition that is easy for them to read. Um, you know, the first one was published, I think, in 1662, um, but there, there are some that are way more up-to-date and contemporary, but just start wading into the water. The, the best way to do it is just buy one, use it for a while, let it nourish your, yourself spiritually in your prayer time and your Bible reading, and uh, and just kind of grow deeper in some of those liturgical aspects. Um, and, and those are great ways to be able to kind of wade into the water and kind of feel yeah. this out. And and see how how God can truly bring together those three different streams that convergence in a person's life and even in their church. Yeah, and and I I like that. I I like you know to the to the point. I, someone said something to me one time, and and I think it was almost off the cusp, and and they probably have forgotten it, and it stuck with me. Uh, and it's not a mm -hmm. perfect analogy by any stretch. There's a lot of problems with this analogy, but somewhat a helpful one. And I often encourage people in saying like this kind of convergence movement may really not be for you, right? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. In fact, there's in some sense this kind of oddity that there is a church love language mm -hmm. in the fact that, um, uh oh, is my computer restarting? No. Okay. We're good. Uh, like this church love language <laughs> that basically like, I think there are some people who really connect and are being mm -hmm. moved by God in a moment in a space that may not be very deep at all, right? It may be, you know, your kind of mega church style, very kind of mm -hmm. surfacey, very basic, easy to understand type of place. Um, right. But then there may be those who are in that situation now that are, are kind of going, okay, maybe mm -hmm. there's something deeper. There's something, there's something missing from this. And the hard mm -hmm. part is right. we often kind of go, Oh, th this this is there's something missing here for me. I'm just done with this thing. Instead of recognizing mm -hmm. that there's this deep well to explore, in the same sense that there was a deep well to explore in so many mainline churches, especially in the early 20th right. century, that kind of a move towards Pentecostalism so showed them there's so much more than this mm -hmm. one expression. And so I often yes. kind of you know try to help people understand that this isn't like a we do it right and everyone else does it wrong. Oh, no, by no means. Mm, mm. As much as it is, yeah. this is an expression that I think connects with so many people for various different ways because we've got right. three streams that kind of work together um, and we try mm -hmm. to hold that in in unity, but we're not always great, mm -hmm. not always perfect, and sometimes... Right. And, and yeah. there's things that we're missing all over the place, right? Like, Definitely. And mm -hmm. Again, we're mm -hmm. limited. We're all human. Um Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's something there for everyone. And that's that's part of the beauty of the convergence movement is that you know, people who come from a spirit-filled background, a liturgical background, or just an evangelical background can connect in some aspect of it. Um, but you're right, like, you know, the different types of churches for different types of people. Um, at the same time, though, I think that there's a movement where people are wanting to experience something more. And I believe yeah. that the convergence movement offers that deeper well to draw from. Right. Um, it's not the perfect well, and there's other other wells around, but it it offers some of that that deeper well to be able to draw from in order to nourish yeah. them spiritually speaking. Absolutely, yeah. Paige. Yeah. So you gave the website. People can go there, find contact information for you. I mean, I would mm -hmm. encourage anyone, um, selfishly myself, you know, encourage anyone to, to contact and reach out. I, I can't end this without noting that I didn't mean to do this, but I decided to wear my purple hat. And of course, I forgot that you would be in your, uh, in your purple your, shirt. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was totally on accident, but a happy accident, I suppose. But you know, it's, it's, 
it might be prophetic speaking of the spirit field it might be prophetic so you know deacon aaron you, know, you might be a bishop aaron one day you never know so purple you know and white i mean that's that's what it Amen. is right <laughs> that's right and it, it is advent colors we're recording during advent so the, this is those are advent colors so that you're you're being very liturgical even with I, that so. i hesitate to say bishop aaron of the church of mercedes-benz formula one team <laughs> right like a, right. probably the wrong bishop of something <laughs> right right um <laughs> Hey, Paige, thanks so much for doing this. Um, it, it was a real pleasure, and I know we'll do it again here soon. Uh, but yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for the invitation. Glad to be here.